Welcome to the Fatty Z Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy, joined by Vance to the right of me, sitting in front of Ranger. And we have Todd Young on the phone. And, like always, this podcast is brought to you by Fatty Z Muskie Products. FattyZMuskie.com. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. And all those other things. Twitter, YouTube, all that stuff. So, anyways, if you don't know, which... Most people probably do by now. We make jerk baits, we make glide baits, soft plastic swim baits, rod holders, our Project X, and we, um, I don't know, I, I, I'd like to think we make a top notch product. So um, check us out on the website, fattyzmuskie.com, and Facebook are probably the two best ways. And you can get, there's contact information there. Message me. Any questions, anything like that. And next up is St. Croix Rods. St. Croix Rods, best on earth. And uh, if you, anyone's out there looking for a fishing rod, check out St. Croix. There's many options when it comes to your fishing rods. Uh, St. Croix's been around for a long time. They make an excellent product, so please check them out. We are also brought to you by Boss Shad. Um, you can find Boss Shads at BossShad.net. You can find them at Mark's Bait Tackle and Ammo, Ravenna, Ohio. You can, uh, with Mark's Bait Tackle and Ammo, you can get it through their website. They have an online store. They also have a Facebook page that you could check out. And uh, Paul is also with, he's on Instagram. He has a nice Instagram page going. Takes some great photos of his baits. And Facebook. And I am looking forward to when this weather breaks for good that I can run a whole bunch of our new boss shads that we got. We talked about in the last show. Absolutely. And I'm very interested in seeing how some of these ones run. I, I, I didn't talk about all the ones I got on the last show, but I got a good variety. And I'm definitely going to be getting more. So I guess, you know, if you're out there looking for some trolling baits, Check out Paul. I mean, it's Paul's boss, Shad. Um, he has some incredible fish to the Bates names. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, he has some monsters caught. I mean, not just from him, but from other people. And uh, it, it's quite impressive. So he's he's fairly local to us, you know, just over there in Ohio. So uh, he's a big supporter of the podcast. Please support Paul at Boss Shad. And uh, check him out, BossShad.net. Tell them you heard it on the podcast. Then Todd hit up Muddy Creek and Wiley Lures. Yeah, we have Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, mcfishandguides.com. Give us a call. We do we do trips on uh, Chautauqua Lake, Memorial Day through uh, uh, mid-November. We usually wrap it up before we get the guns out to go and do, do a little buck hunting. But uh, give us a call. Vance is going to be doing some guiding this summer, a little bit, hopefully a little more than last year. And myself, I'll be doing it. Pretty much lived there for those five months. A uh, little bit of fishing in Pennsylvania early. If you're looking to get it, get into some of that, you know, fishing at Pyman Tuning, Conneaut Moraine State Park, some of those places. Uh, trips are booking up, so I'm uh, I'm probably over. I'm probably about a third of what I can do right now on my books. Uh, so, and it's still really early get a lot of the fall people haven't even thought about fishing. You're talking about a long ways from now. So, but if you've got a time that you're going to be up there, 
or a time that you have some vacation and you want to try to get a trip in, it's never too early to get a hold of me. Uh, the books are up and running. So give us a call. We'll get you out there and get you on some fish. And then we, we have uh, Wiley Lures as a sponsor. Dale Wiley out of Elwood City, PA. You can find his baits limited supply at O'Donnell's in Portersville. You can get them online through Muskie Thrills, if that site is up and running. I believe it is right now. But uh, I think we still have a few. Anyone who's really desperate, we have a couple. We, we still might sell. I think we we'll got see. like four. We have four left. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all really good colors. But yeah. uh, I'm shocked that these yeah, colors are actually still here. Well, we haven't promoted them at all. I mean, we have four, we have four four Wileys left. We got a mud puppy head shaker, an eight inch Michigan perch king, and two catfish catfish kings left. Which are the you? I mean, that's that's the one, Todd. That that king is the one you clean up in Canada with. And Vance also had a good trip yeah. with them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. When I go to Canada, I mean, I run that. Pretty much everywhere I've ever been when I went to Canada, I run that bait. Uh, I just can't find one that can outproduce for myself up there. I, I can't find one that does close to that. So, yeah, those eight inches, man, those Canadian fish love that thing. I don't, I don't know what it is about them, but uh, they like those. They love those baits. Great baits. Dale's been doing it for forty years. If anyone's been around forty years, uh. I think they're doing something right. So. I haven't even been alive for 40 years. No. Not even close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Vance just reached into the bait closet and pulled out the Michigan perch. Clanging and banging. You guys can play with that during the podcast. Clanging and banging at the podcast. Yep. Yep. So. Dale's been doing it a long time and uh, somehow try to get a hold of him. Yeah, somehow try to get that's, that's a great yeah. plug right there. <laughs> Dale's yeah. a big sponsor, by the way. Good luck. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, after that, we're going into the power rankings. Uh, we've been doing this since the turn of the year. Uh, if you want to get involved, send in your submissions to uh, Facebook Messenger, Fat AZ Muskie on there. Uh, Message us personally, use the Instagram page, whatever it is, comment on a post, and we will uh, get you involved on this list. Uh, let's just get right in, into it here. We, we got four again this this week. Uh, coming in at four, a submission from Mike Luther again, which, funny fact, his mother is where I got a couple pugs from. Anybody looking for great pugs? Uh Get a hold of the Luthers. Are you doing a pug plug? <laughs> kind of right now. <laughs> pug plug. Best dogs on earth. Just like St. Croix Rods. That's a terrible joke. But uh, coming in at four, the... Yeah. He, he says the... Uh, I know it's terrible, but uh, the, the the clean release. And, and what he, what, what he uh, elaborated on that is um, no messing around in the net. When you, when you net a fish and the lure basically... Pops right out of the fish's mouth after the tension is released uh, from fighting the fish, and all you got to do is reach in that bag and, and and set them free. And that is that's a perk for sure on the water. Uh, that is, I love that one. I mean, it is a perk. I, I like you know they get in the bag, 
hook pops out, fish rolls to its side, opens his gill up a little bit, sort of opens his mouth, lets you slide right in there. Bam, bam, picture, put him back in, doesn't flop, doesn't roll. Kicks right off, yeah. And they're, they're that's, off. That's great. That, that's a great thing that happens, you know, when you put it in the bag, that it just behaves. Yeah. They're off to the side, away from the lure that's hanging on the on maybe the right side of the yeah. bag. The fish is down there to the left. It's a clean grab. You're ready to roll. I, I was have to worry about getting it in your elbow. Mm-hmm. I was mistaken on this. I, I, I see the angle that he was going. I thought the clean release was the cooler lid was open, and when you're throwing the fish in, you're not getting <laughs> scraped by the gill rakes. <laughs> and then, and then it, it, it just it, it, it makes a solid thud sound in the yeah. bottom, and then that lid closes, and it gives a couple little drum taps. Bop, 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 bop. That's, that's like eerie walleye. It's walleye fishing. I do. I do like that sound too. I do too. I've hit those things over the head so many times. I can't believe they still kick in there. I'm I know it's going to be a damn good, damn good dinner coming up. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so I guess I was mistaken. I, I was doing that with my muskies, and I was releasing all my walleyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bad, bad, bad. Yes, no, I love it. Yeah, yeah. The, the the clean release coming in at four from Mike. Thanks for your submission. Uh, Coming in at three on the week. Uh, Andy, take it away. Okay, mine is you're driving your boat around, and one thing is usually like not the waves that are the annoying thing. It's the other person's boat wake. And I guess this could go for a little bit of the waves. But for me, it's so you got some big, giant, gas-guzzling boat going around, people drunk hanging off the sides. And they kick up this big wake and you're, you're cruising already. And you're like, this thing's going to suck because for me, it's always like the boat wake jars you more than the actual waves themselves. And you're like, well, I think I'm going to hit them right here. And you just, you're, you, you, you hit them so in such a manner that you're not bouncing around and you're not taking any, any spray from the bow into your face. Mm -hmm. You're just like, like this like pro driver going up You're like oh i gotta hit him at this angle so you do a little jigger jogger and then you boop, 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 yeah and then you get through them then you hit the other sides boop, boop, boop. Mm-hmm. and you're just like yeah that was a win yeah because that that that, that is nice uh i it, you you kind of get like a, a perfect timing down uh mm-hmm. with 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 where you know from point a to point b and you can kind of judge the waves with the wind and whatnot and the angle that you're supposed to and then all of a sudden another boat's coming and he's plowing through plowing through those waves and he's creating this whole different dynamic that that you already you know that messes up your timing and and the angle that you're driving as as a boat and i've i've been rocked i've been Uh, i've cut the motor sometimes like this is gonna suck you just pull it back yeah you gotta come off plane sometimes go over them yeah that's, that's just that's that's just your talk lake any sunny weekend all summer long there's just it's like a big it looks like it's a washing machine it's just like waves coming from every direction mm-hmm. gosh I remember. it makes it very hard to trap to travel mm-hmm. but hitting if you can time those ones just right mm-hmm. sometimes i like that big one rolling in because if you hit it right your boat kind of goes off to the side and feel like you're losing a little bit of just losing a little bit of control and mm-hmm. you dive into the other side of it that it's all fun yeah 
Yeah, it's yeah, because it, it can. Everyone's done it. They just smash into it. You know, it catches you off guard. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like what Todd's saying, except you really do lose a little control, mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah. I don't, you're not spun out, but you're like, geez, that yeah. really wrecked everything that I had going for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at that point, you wish you could throw a grenade in that guy's boat. <laughs> but. Yeah, it's one of those, like, and it doesn't have to be a busy lake. It can be, like, you and another boat on the lake, and you just so happen to be crossing paths, and mm-hmm. and uh, you, you hit that right to where it's like, yeah, you didn't affect me, and keep going. Yeah. I've come flying out of my, my seat before. You That's know. dangerous in a tow. Oh, yeah. That's very dangerous. I mean, you know, I... I, I yeah. You know, so I, I'm... I'm you get a, to learn your boat as mm-hmm. you go. You know, you get to learn your boat as you go. When I, when I first got my my lund you know i I mean uh we went to canada my first trip up there and they they have these big houseboats that travel the trent river system and uh, they put off a huge wake so i'm traveling with my dad there's not that many boats around and i see this big wake and i'm like okay got this nice big you know 19 foot boat big motor i'm just gonna see i'm i i I, you have to try sometime right so why not try it the first time (laughs) and uh i I, you know, I cut it. And I said, I'm just going to see what happens. And, you know, I, the boat came out of the water airborne. We hit really hard. My dad looked at me and was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it was, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't scared. I wasn't, uh, but it did not take it the way, what I thought, you know, and I'm like, okay, we're not going to do that ever again (laughs) (laughs) yeah that wasn't enough to plow right into it so you learn to ride them like a crab fishing boat you think you could just like hit that wave and just it parts and you just like come out shining on the other side yeah yeah no i hit it and it went up very high (laughs) the uh (laughs) I, i have one like that i was in my 14 footer i was on presque isle bay not the Presque Isle in Wisconsin, but Presque Isle off of Lake Erie by the city of Erie. And you're stuck 40 mile an hour, 14 footer. <laughs> yeah. Except that this time I think I had the nine, nine on it. So it was early on <laughs> oh, in my okay. fishing. Nice. So it'd go like <laughs> seven with a tailwind. And <laughs> back in the days when I was wild. Yeah. Anyways, I was cutting across the, the, the main channel there. I, I came out of this one place called Misery Bay, and I was heading back to the Chestnut Street launch. And coming coming through the channel, and I, I might be using the wrong word here, but it, it describes the boat. It, 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 it's a Coast Guard boat. I call it a Coast Guard cutter. It kind of looks like an Army boat, a miniature battleship. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a Coast, it's Coast Guard. Big silvery looking thing. Big metal piece of machinery. Huge. Mm -hmm. And it's going through the shipping lane, the the channel that, that, you know, connects this bay to Lake Erie. Well, everything's all well and good. You know, I'm like one-fifth its size in length. Mm -hmm. And I'm going along, and I'm like trying to hug the shore. Well, this thing gets out of the no-wake zone for this channel. And it like drops the hammer, which, you know, might be, I don't know, 15, 20 miles an hour. It doesn't plane out, but it rolled this tidal wave off the back that I could not outrun. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and I'm just, I was at Hammer Town. I took water over the side. You did. I took water over the side from that wake. Yeah. Now, I don't think, you know, they didn't mean it on purpose, but I'm running. I think I had my sister in the boat at the time. And I'm like, ah, you know, because <laughs> it's like white capping. It's, yeah. It is giant. I mean, this boat had to weigh 50 tons. Yeah. And, yeah, there was just a lot of diesel being consumed when they decided to drop it, drop it and go. Mm. And, and the wake was very impressive. And Do you have a manual bilge pump? I had to flip the switch on. Yeah. Had to, and it would just pour in a straight stream out the back. I mean, I wasn't in fear of sinking. Mm-hmm. But it was, again, they probably didn't even know I was there. I wasn't even on the radar. But <laughs> it was very inconsiderate of them, considering such a small craft yeah. trying to get away. Yeah. You can't see those little tin boats on the water sometimes. No, not when you got a you got a city skyline and all that crap next to you. And yeah, we used to call uh, my uncle's boat that I started fishing out, muskies out of uh, the Jesus boat because from a distance <laughs> it looked like people were walking on water. All you saw were like people standing there. You really didn't. There was no draft, no nothing, no freeboard, nothing. It was just people standing. There's a there. paddleboard. It's yeah, that's what it looked like. The called it the Jesus, Jesus boat because people were walking on water. I like that. Yeah. I thought it was because every time it got windy, you guys were all sitting there going, oh, Jesus. Oh, that, yeah, that ha- there was a lot of praying moments there. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, we have a lot of, lot of stories there. You know how Chautauqua kicks up, and we were running through a storm the one time, and by the time, you know, we were maybe two miles from the bridge, and by the time we got up to the bridge, we were drenched, and it was, you know, bluebird skies <laughs> and no more wind. It was hilarious. I remember another time, though, t- talking about wakes and being able to jump them and getting caught in wakes and stuff. I was releasing a fish out of the back of my boat. Which one? Um, the smaller tiller, though. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the competitor 165, that one. Mm-hmm. And still, those boats, they don't have a lot of, you know, it's it's still pretty shallow. They taper mm-hmm. on that back there. You got this big net and whatnot, and I'm dealing with the fish, and I go down, and I grab the fish, and this wake starts rocking the boat. People were driving by, seeing what I, seeing what I caught, waving, oh, you know, oh. all these, you know, big like, uh, you know, party boats and big bay liners going by, kicking up the biggest wake possible, three foot, four foot rollers, stuff like that, and uh, I got picked up on one, and it dunked the net, so like the entire net and the fish was in the water. And my entire arm was in the water, and, and and the fish got out of my got out of my my grip because I was startled that I thought I was going to go face first into this water, into the net, into the net, into and the water, be into stuck the fish, in, yeah, and the, on the bottom. And the fish, one of the fish tooth, <coughs> got a hold of me. It almost bit down on me, but I got I had a big scrape from it, one of those big long tooths on the on that bottom mandible there. Did you punch him in the head? Mm-mm. You should have. I, at that point, I just got a hold of the net and flipped it around the fish, and he, he swam right off. I mean, we were, like, really in the water at that point. It was, And I just turned around like, thanks. You know, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> just circling you at eight miles an hour. Yeah, very, very close. 22-foot bay liner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both, of, like, two of them doing that from the bow end, you know, in the backside of the boat. It was, it was a mess. That's what you deal with up on Chautauqua. So 
That perfect wake jump coming in three. Coming in at two, Todd, take it away. Yeah, some guys might do this, some guys may not. But uh, when you put something like a fishing lure, which I do often, throw the thing up on eBay, good running lure, just no more room for it, and just time to move a few things out of the house. And uh, a couple guys get in a bidding war for that thing. And the next thing you know, you got a bait there that's, you know, I think it, it, it's like a, almost like a gambling addiction for me to list some things. Oh, how high is it going to go? But man, when you get two guys bidding on something, really, uh, that's what really you're living for. Your that's your addiction. <laughs> no. Is to, to yeah, watch other people thing. struggle for your stuff or or want it. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I hadn't put anything on eBay in two two years, but I got some stuff up there right now, and I, you know, I, I check it every day to see see what's going on. And uh, sometimes it can be the simplest thing, but you know, if you get a couple guys that want it, and like I said, I've been guilty of this before. Lots of times it was a, a collectible or something, but it was something like I'm getting that bait, and you put in some crazy number. Hope you know, in in the back of your head, I'm like, man, I hope nobody takes this high but yeah sometimes it happens and then you're like oh my god i like to be on the receiving end of that <laughs> i i went this far on it i what's another dollar i better i better yeah. not i already have 70 dollars wrapped up in this thing what's another one yeah am yeah. i, am and, I and gonna I lose this for why, a buck? i can see why it happens you know you know with the collectible wars i see why it happens you know, it might be something you've been looking for, a particular color, particular something. And if you can't find it and it's coming out of, you know, it might be coming from Nebraska or something. You don't know if you're ever going to see that again. That's why guys will do that. And I know that can happen just locally with their own baits, baits that we can get readily available around here. Not readily available, but something you can get. We know the guys that make some of the baits. You know, you can tell them, hey, paint me this color. But, you know, you got a couple guys and you know, Minnesota that have been catching fish on a certain color, they have no idea how to get one. And, uh, you know, that particular color pops up and, you know, your buddy just smoked you with a bunch of fish the weekend before. And you're saying, I'm getting that bait one way or the other. And, uh, you know, I can see how it happens. You know, it's an addiction. Musky fishing is. Yeah. Baits are really an addiction. <laughs> they well, are. We have too many. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, turn this around a little bit and picture the guy that wins that bidding war that's an addiction too we todd you're like i feel bad for the people they're sitting there bidding this up but if you're in the if you're in the heat of the battle and you're like i'm gonna win this Mm -hmm. at all costs that is fun as well Mm -hmm. i think all of us and like i said i've 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 been on that side too (laughs) and no one wants to be the loser yeah like you get you you get a notification bin out bid you, you you turn right around you you increase the bid just but, like I'm not I'm not moving man I'm here well, I'm it, watching well, this thing when you get that notification saying you've been out bid it's pretty much saying you're a loser game on yeah I got you and like oh yeah I'm not the loser I'm gonna show you yeah here's another <laughs> fifty <laughs> cents right in your face that's right increments <laughs> of five cents a crack yeah yeah but that that is a uh, eBay's fun, especially for baits. It, it, you know, I guess I'm going to do a little talk about eBay real quick. I remember when eBay came out, it was everything was like all auction, auction, auction. Anymore, I treat eBay like 
I need boxes for shipping. Yeah. This size, buy it. Now, I don't even want to look at the auctions. Yeah. I don't have time for that. I just want to buy the cheap yeah. stuff that they got. Yeah. And that shopping cart feature is incredible. It's like an Amazon almost with that buy it now stuff. It is. And you can shop a cart, one click, boom, it's done. You know, mm-hmm. I very rarely anymore look for eBay for auction of those items. So mm-hmm. it is interesting to see these auctions that Todd has. I'm like, people are still looking for this stuff? Yeah. If they get so high, you're just like, eh, maybe maybe this is a really hot hot bait. I should probably just keep this one. But yeah, you also <laughs> end the auction early. Yeah, I reserve the right to change my mind on this bait. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. Um, coming in at one is going to be mine, uh, and that is uh, you got a fishing lure. You catch a fish. You release the fish. You look down back down at the lure, um, and you see that part of the fish is still there, a tooth. Stuck in the bait. Oh, I thought you were going to say eye. An eye. A scale, an eye. Eye, stuck in a hook. Yeah. Now you have a musky eye, but a musky tooth stuck in the lure. Uh, you know, maybe you save it. Maybe you take it out. What I personally do is I, I let it ride, and I think it's a good luck charm when there's a tooth stuck oh, yeah. in the bait, and I keep it there. I think it's only fitting if a musky loses a tooth in the bait. You need to bite the bait and lose a tooth in it. <laughs> I've had them in, in really, I think, uh, I don't know. I know my my one bait had a tooth stuck in the uh, split ring, one of the split rings, which seemed very, very painful. I remember that. That is also not very common. Yeah. I probably would have cut the leader and just left everything like that <laughs> and not messed with it. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mess with it. I still I still threw the thing. And eventually it did uh it did fall out and get lost and, and, and but Do you ever think about going back and looking for it? <laughs> it was a very, very small tooth. But it was there and all of a sudden this became a lucky bait, you know. Was it Mitch? No. Okay. No it wasn't. I think it was my walleye. Yeah, it was one of the walleyes I had. But getting a musky tooth, anything like that, I'm sitting here holding a shed of a buck that Andy found. Uh, and you're thinking of bone. And I'm thinking of bone. You know, like Todd has a lot of cool uh, cool musky jaws and stuff like that. Anytime you find one of those things, uh, like a tooth or a jaw or something like that, I, you know, I, I personally want to, like, try and keep them, you know. I'll always look at the boat. Uh, the boat ramp, there's a bunch of buildup of, of like, uh, you know, weeds and sticks and boat parts and all that crazy crap. Like when it's washed up on shore, dead fish, I always look to see if there's, you know, remnants of like a dead muskie or something like that. And, you know, I want to take its jaw for some reason. Do you also happen to look for your transom saver? Transom saver, net, and maybe a bump board. <laughs> That's what you look for at the boat ramp, and I'd say that that's a those reasonable. The, I mean, those are the that's one, two, and three, and then four is the dead musky and trying to get a tooth or something. What if you found a dead musky laying on your bump board that was in the net, entangled also in the net <laughs> as your transom? I'd, I'd, I'd go and play the lottery. It choked it. 
It choked on the transom saver. Yeah, it, it, it had a big indent in its forehead from the transom saver. <laughs> and it was still stuck in it like the contractor boss from Happy Gilmore with the nail. Yeah, I'd have to uh, get somebody to in- investigate how that actually happened. It's a mystery. It was one in a million. For- forensic files. Yeah. but I have, a, uh, I have a tooth in my Goldie fat body that's been in there 15 years probably. Wow. Think still the fish riding. is still alive? No, the fish is probably long dead. I didn't even catch the fish. We lost the fish, but it lost its tooth, and it is stuck right behind the eye. It has been in there. <laughs> you know that Man. gator that many, got many, your... many years. Yeah. Many years. You know that gator that got your hand? Well, I got his head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> happy Gilmore. Another ridiculous Happy Gilmore reference yeah. in two minutes. In two minutes. That's crazy you missed that fish. Sounds like it hammered it on the eye. Yeah. Way up front. Yeah, right up near the eyeball. It's right behind the eyeball. It's stuck right inside. Yeah, so uh, the musky tooth in the lore becomes the lucky cool. lore. Yeah. Uh, so that wraps up the power rankings uh, for this podcast. If you want to get involved, send in your submissions, uh, Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger, anything like that. Comment on a post. We'll get you involved. We'll talk about it for a little bit on the podcast. Uh, recapping for the clean release out of the bag. Uh, three, the wake jump. Two, I already forget, Todd's. What was Todd's? Bidding war. The bidding war, yes. And, bidding war. And one, the musky tooth. Better write them down. I will. You've been slacking in that department. I have. I'm not the only one. <laughs> All right. Todd, what are we going to talk about this time? Yeah, I want to talk about some stuff I've seen people discussing and uh, actually some questions we get asked all the time. We'll start it out this way. Let's take our little six-inch raptor that we make. A little six-inch bait, skinny, skinny little bait. Uh, you know, we have a, uh, an O-ring on the hook on the tail. And by O-ring, you mean a split ring. Yeah. Split ring, yeah. Todd split calls them O-rings. The yes, I'm just, I'm, I'm letting everyone I know that. I, 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 I know yeah. when Todd says O-ring, uh, but for anyone out there that doesn't, it's uh, when he says O-ring, you yeah. mean split ring. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so on the front, on the front hook, we buy an open-ended eye screw. We put it in there. You put the hook on a certain way, and you pinch that thing shut. And, uh, you know, what people ask, well, can I put a split ring on there? Well, there's a reason. There's a reason we don't have one on there. Because the bait is is small as far as height goes. Uh, if you put that on there, as soon as you throw the thing in the water and take a couple jerks with it, that hook reaches up around and gets caught on the back of the lure. Now you foul hooked your bait. Yeah. Uh, I, I think almost all bait makers, uh, and if they haven't, they should. I mean, you 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 know, take. I know Andy and I do this all the time. You move those. You, you position where you're putting your 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 uh, eye screws. Uh, whether you have split rings on them or not, and you know you check to see can these can these uh, hooks foul up. Now you know obviously with trolling baits it's not that big of a deal. A lot of trolling baits you'll see that they overlap, but I mean you're laying that thing in the water, you're putting it out there, it starts running, 
but when you're casting, it's a totally different thing. Those hooks are flying through the air. Uh, can you do it? Yeah. But like, for instance, with our bait, if you do that, that bait is not going to perform for you. You're not going to be able to use it like that. Uh, the big question is, you know, guys are concerned about getting them out. I mean, I just to unscrew that thing a couple times. I've been doing them with my Wileys for years. You can either put a, uh, needle nose pliers in there, open it up straight out, or what I like to do and what most people do, you get like a pair of line nose pliers and you just turn that thing a little bit sideways, put your new hook on it, bend it back into shape. Will it weaken? Yes, it's going to weaken once you do it a few dozen times, maybe, you know, but I keep an eye on it. If it's all crooked, you know, I carry extra, extra, uh, eye screws in the boat for all the different size lures that I, I just have a variety of them. Every once in a while, I'm like, yeah, that's looking pretty ragged. I just wind it out, put a new one in. Uh, we hear about people talking about that with the wooden baits. You take a bait, you know, like Dale's baits, all Dale's, almost all Dale's baits. There's no uh, split ring on there. Uh, if you do put that ring on there, you can still tee your hooks, and you, you can bend them to the point where they uh, don't rash up as much. But they will, you know, it starts grooving the bait. Now, what happens there is uh, eventually that groove gets so bad to the point where even even if, even if you're trolling the bait, you know, you put that thing in the water, that hook ends up catching into, into the groove it's made, and it makes your, your uh, lure go off, off the track, you know. So... There's there there's a reason guys have done it. Can you play with stuff? Absolutely. You know, I have some baits that I prefer a bigger hook than what they come with. So I'll play around with them. You know, I might put a bigger hook on there. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But that's just something you can play around with, you know. There's a lot that goes into the guys that are making these baits. And there's a, you know, for most of them, there's a reason things are put together a certain way. Uh, Andy's is, you know played around with lots of stuff yeah like you know i guess <clears throat> anytime i get something that i'm looking at it i'm like that looks you know out of place or maybe not necessarily the way i'm used to seeing something done first thing i generally do is be like why was it done this way because most mm -hmm. of the time when, when anyone's manufacturing anything whether it be automotive you know to well, like what we're talking about fishing baits there's a reason that they did that now there's 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 reasons you know it depends what they're trying to appeal to it, are they cutting cutting costs are they doing this to make it run better are they doing it to make it look better name your reason there's a lot of reasons and like kind of going back to what todd was saying with like the six inch raptor in order for us we we really enjoyed having that big giant hook it's it's not like the biggest hook in the world. And if anyone out there, you know, notices our line of hard baits, we use the same hook on all of them for the standpoint that it's nicer to just inventory one hook. If we, we generally bring hooks to the shows. We're not like, Oh, we need some hooks. And we're like, well, what bait are you going to put it on? Oh, it's the, you know, this eight inch Raptor. Oh, okay. We know which hook to get. It's not like we have, 17 hooks for 17 different baits we, we we tend to make the make the baits as uniform as possible and a hook is just one of those things that 
you don't want to be carrying tons of inventory of, of various kinds when you, at any moment you could drop drop a model and then you've got 900 hooks left. But anyways, getting back, I, I was off track on that. By having this giant, it, that, that's actually a three-aught hook. It's a short short shank, which is very convenient because the five-aughts that I use like on the seniors have the same hook gap, which is the, the distance between the point and the shank of the hook. And... But Mustad makes that, that short shank. It's the same gap as the 5 aught, but it's substantially shorter. So we were able to put an oversized hook on that 6-inch bait. But when, when we were doing it with split rings, I remember it was just so frustrating. Remember that, Todd? Oh, it's, anything it's, it's, there's we, nowhere to put it. It's awful. Anything that we did to split ring it, if it wasn't catching up on the nose, it was swinging around on its back. And it would just... Yeah. And when you sharpen the hooks and you get them needle sharp, it can even just ever so penetrate in the side, and it'll hang on essentially upside down, hanging on just by the friction of the, the, the tip. So that's the reason why we did it on the 6-inch, because you have, a, you have a big giant hook, and it weights it nicely. And I, I, I want to go on a limb and say that most baits – won't really change the way they run if you put split rings on, but you are starting to tamper with the way the bait was designed and made. Um, mm-hmm. I've had people say, "Hey, this bait doesn't work that well for me," and I, then I you know, through the conversation, I then find out, "Oh, you put uh, like like I I, I don't want to pinpoint any one of them, but somebody switched like the hooks on the glider." And they're like, it doesn't mm-hmm. glide that well or, or what have you. And they said the hooks keep fouling up on each other. And I'm like, what? Well, yeah. I start piecing it together. I'm like, oh, you put these other hooks on it. And these other hooks have a long shank. Now the hooks can intertwine with each other. And, you know, it's, it's, an, it's easy to over just to think that it's the bait's fault. That, you know, this, this isn't working right. But... What, even just as innocently enough of just changing the hooks to the hooks that may be your favorites did change. Because, you know, most people don't study hooks like people that are trying to make a bait work. Finding weights, hook gaps, reliefs, all that stuff like that. But it, it, it does, all of it comes into play. And like I think, Todd, like you were starting to talk about, you sometimes upsize the hooks and it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. Some baits, I mean, the hook is a major, especially the small baits. I mean, the hook is a major weight, major factor in the way that thing's going to run. I I, I find it funny when I see people throwing their crankbaits or I've heard stories of people saying, yeah, you know, I was pre-fishing or something, so I took the hooks off the bait. And and when someone says that, and I've, I've heard that being said numerous times, Maybe they're in a tournament. Oh, I don't want to catch them. I was just throwing the bait. I didn't have any hooks on it. And I was like, how did that bait run? Most crankbaits, if you take if you take a couple of the hooks off of a crankbait, you're talking about three, four grams each one. That bait's not going to If you cut all your hooks off a of wide lure, it's not, it does not run. <laughs> that, the, the, those hooks are, are part of the fact. Uh, it, it's a counterweight. The it's the keel. The it's the counter. Yeah, it's the keel. It keeps everything level. So you can play. You can maybe get away with a bigger hook. You can usually get a big away with a bigger hook on like the tail, 
But, you know, when you start messing with those belly hooks, uh, get a watch. It can really kill the action, you know. So uh, it's just something to think about when, 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 you're, uh, when you're thinking about making changes. Don't blame it on the bait, as Andy said. And just the same as Andy and I have talked with our – we're using the same hook on our 10-inch rafter. It looks kind of silly, but it. I don't. I don't. Yeah, it's 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 not the. To me, it's not the best. But when we go to something of a long shank, or you you know, we we, we played with some other hooks for it. But uh, you know, when you do that, then all of a sudden, now the hooks can tangle. Now the hook can flip up and hit on the back. You know what I mean? Andy's talked about. Really, he'd like to make his own hook for it, which that would be that would work. But who wants? To, you know, we're not going to sit there and. Well, solder these hooks but, and you know all yeah but uh you know ideally you would and a lot of the a lot of the big baits are that way you know it's a, a lot of the big baits i see you know, the hook just doesn't look right uh you know part of that is you know the reasoning it there is probably because they're just you know once you get so big you still can only put so much hook on there for the weights change you know change your action drastically change the way that thing's going to run uh and as you said, even even when you split ring and, you know, the wooden baits really can get really chewed up. Uh, you know, the Bosch shads that we use all the time, I can take and I do, I bend that hook about three different ways to get it to fit. But still, over time, it digs a little hole in there. And uh, in the long run, that hook ends up starting to catch. I would take and fill that groove with epoxy sometimes. Uh so, like Todd, besides teeing the hook, I, I guess let, let, let's talk a little bit about you know, like you, you hit on it real quick. When you're trolling a bait, you the, the the bait is essentially doing its action, and it's just doing yeah. it over and over again as long as it's in the water, and that hook's on its belly, flip flopping back and forth. And mm-hmm. what was it? I remember my buddy Tim. He had me pick up a head shaker. This is going back a few years, more than a few years. And we went out and we were playing around with it, just seeing how it runs. And I, I, I want to say, but I'm, I'm not going to say that I said it, that you want to tee them hooks. And we ran it. I mean, but we also ran it fast. We were seeing how fast it would go. I think we were at nine miles an hour. It was still holding. Wow. And, you know, we went maybe a half a mile. He pulled it out. It was worn all the way into the cedar. Really? It went yeah. through every it immediately. Happen. It's going to happen quick. <laughs> and it's going to happen quick. Yeah. The, so teeing of the hook is pretty much like with Dale. He puts the hook on to where the the way the hooks all soldered together. There's one way that it just lays perfectly on the bait. You you take those two um, the the bends of the two hooks that would be touching it. And you would grab them in pliers, and then I just kind of twist my wrist out to flatten it to where then if you looked at the bottom of the hook, it's a T now rather than a perfect 120-degree angle between all of them. Now it's 180 between the two that would be resting against the belly and then the 90, 90 degree sticking straight down. And, Todd, do you then turn the hook points even further? I'll... I'll... I'll take my pliers and just bend them ever so slightly forward. So, uh, if, if if you see if I see any type of a rash on there, I will play with them. I mean, I have I have bases have hundreds and hundreds of hours of being in the water that uh, have absolutely no hook rash. 
and that's all because we teed the baits. But as Andy said, you got to, you know, if you do cut a hook, you know, look at the other hooks on the bait or grab a bait like it. Check the way that's on there. A lot of times I have guys give me baits, man, I can't get this to run. And and, and let's say they hand me a wire lure. I can't get this bait to run. And they hand it to me. And, uh, you know, once again, everything is in a line. And I look, and the joint's turned halfway. The belly hook, the hook is on backwards. So instead of the one prong sticking straight out, it's pointed back towards the bait. You know, and there's all these little things. And you, I can usually grab that bait, go, pop, 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 you know, line it up, make sure everything's straight, look straight down the lower, everything's in a straight line, put it in the water, and like, well, oh, I can't believe that. I, I, I just couldn't get that thing to run. But, uh, you know, keeping everything in a straight line, very, it, 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 you know, that stuff's very important. I can't imagine putting, like, bigger hooks on that glider. Every time it, every time it would glide, it would want to catch. It would never work. You couldn't even get one glide out of it. Yeah. You know. And, and like, when we're assembling uh, the Raptors and stuff, like what Todd was just hit on real quick about people that have baits that don't run, we we, we drive the screw eyes all in, and, and then we I have a pair of Lyman pliers here, and I do the final tweaking to get them straight. Then it's like I hold hold the back, what would be the top of the bait, or what I call the back, flatten my hand, and I hold it up, and I sight down the belly. So now the belly of the bait, where the hook hangers are, are pointing to the ceiling, and I look, and I see if they are all closely in line with each other, and if they're true to the bait, like not all cattywampus, one leaning left, yeah. one leaning right. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's important because you, you look at those screw eyes actually do something. If you have a bait that's wandering hard and you can't get it to tune in, like you can tune the Raptors. You know, there's some people that really like yeah. them to go wild at the end of a pool and whatever. But if if you can't tune that bait with the screw eye that's where your line is tied to, you can get it to do some funky stuff by having those screw eyes tipped 10, 15 degrees, because they act like a rudder. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that that would you're, be... You're, you're counterbalancing. You're, 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 you're adding weight to one side or the other if that thing's turned. I mean, it, it seems very subtle, but you know what we're asking these baits to do and what these bait makers are asking them to do, especially the small baits, I mean, you're asking a lot of that bait. And you know, make, keeping all that stuff straight makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's just attention to the little details there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, there's something about having that split ring that makes it easier to change hooks throughout, oh my, throughout, yes. the, throughout the bait. But if you add, you know, say something on our six inch or a Wiley, if you add a split ring, that's not true to that original bait. It's going to change it. It might be easier to change the hooks and, and whatnot, but yeah. if you put split rings on those on those eye screws, uh, it's going to run different. It's not going to run right. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it there's a, obviously with any bait, there's a varying degree on how much it's going to change, but you are adding weight to where there wasn't as much weight before, or a new hook rash spot if you're not teeing them correctly and stuff like that. You could eat through that stuff. Yeah, I remember way back maybe 2011 2012 when Dahlberg had his hunt hunt big fish or whatever hunt for big fish on the sportsman channel 
and I would watch it every Friday night. And I think he, I don't know what Beatty had it on, but he'd like double split ring the hooks because you, he would lose less fish because the hook would be more independent from mm-hmm. the bait so it could twist. Mm-hmm. There, was a, there, there was significantly more twist with, with the double split ring. And there was a time, I don't know, they still might be out. There was a hook manufacturer that actually, in the top of the shank, rather than having a loop, it was a ball-bearing swivel. So you were putting this swivel hook onto the bait itself and a fish grabs it. And if he's twisted in this and that, there's never a time where that hook would bind against the, the, the bait and, you know, cause some leverage for the hook to pop out. Mm-hmm. And I guess I could see both ends of the spectrum on that, how that would be, you're especially not, if the you're hooks... not, you're not seeing that a lot on these musky baits. No, but if you had to cut a hook, and I don't know how much those hooks were, but if, let's just say they're three bucks a piece, mm-hmm. I might say this: sorry, fish, you're gonna take another couple extra weeks to heal up <laughs> because I'm not cutting this swivel hook. Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong; those hooks could be yeah. next to nothing, but yeah, it added complexity to that. Um, and another thing, getting back to the Wileys, if if you're if you're going through hooks on them and the and uh, usually that that back hook on them has a split ring or an O-ring. Um, yeah. and, and the two in front of it do not. Um, and if you add a, a split ring to, to those two, that, that middle hook is usually going to get fouled up in that joint of that bait just because you put that extra length on there. So generally speaking, if you, if you get a lure and you see how it's set up initially – and you go through some hooks, you're going to want to try and get back to its true form the best way you can, matching the hooks, not adding split rings, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and, you know, getting back to it, you know, I've never really had a bait that's hooked rash so bad that it doesn't run right anymore. But, you know, I think Todd brought up a really good point with his, he'll he'll fill it in with something. Mm Mm-hmm. And normally by that time, the bait is so beat up, you really are not like, well, I want it repainted to match. Yeah. Normally by that time, it's, it's whooped enough. Mm-hmm. If you're running it that much, it's generally getting hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess there's also another time is if your bait is whooped that bad, possibly think of retiring it. <laughs> yeah. Because you're going to catch a few fish, and then after a while, that's the go-to. Mm-hmm. And when you have the go-to... And it's still producing. There's a part where you're like, I don't want to lose my go-to. And then you get worried and you start like, ah, I'm not going to run it here or there or whatever. And eventually it'll get to the point where I'm not running it no more. Yeah. So you have to decide when it's time to take the go-to producing bait and put it in greener pastures on your wall. Yeah. Or that's the bait that will get lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about rubber baits, though? Yeah, that I mean, that, that's a good one. There, I have a I have a rubber bait retired. Mm-hmm. It was the first senior ever made, and it was a white one. I think I had it for at least two or three years. I caught a bunch of fish on it. The last fish I caught on it put a nice slice in the thin part of the tail. The tail did not fall off, mm-hmm. and I said, "That's it. You're you're done. You've served me well." And it was just a good conversation part because. 
when I was going to the shows at that time, I had my little on-the-go box mm-hmm. showing people what baits I take and showing the condition they were in. That white one, I'd be like, check this bait out. You know, because people would be like, well, how long does that bait last? This rhetorical question, how long does the bait last before you lose the tail? And I'm like, well, it could be the first cast or you might not ever lose the tail. And I, I would show them, this one has been with me for two seasons and I would take and flex the bait and all these look like someone took a razor and just started chopping it up. Mm-hmm. But anyways, get, getting to where I was going to go with that is um, on the swim baits, especially my swim baits or the, the AZ swim baits, I should say. Um, I have the hooks buried into the bait. So that belly hook is not free to jingle around the top hook. Obviously you wouldn't want jingling around cause it'd go on one side or the other, but that was done on purpose. And I've had many people get the bait and say, is this supposed to be like that? And, and yes, it, it is supposed to be like that. And I do it for a multitude of reasons, but for the most part, it keeps it from getting fouled up a lot you know yeah. it, it, it helps it helps a lot and pretty much the only time those get fouled up is if you don't lightly thumb it at the end of the cast to straighten it out on the line mm-hmm. it, it'll hit all and then you know the tail could swing up and get caught on that back hook mm-hmm. but they're a very hard bait to file up because of the way we do it and i have guys fish i i it happens all the time i'll have guys fish one of those for three hours and all of a sudden, I will see them reel in, and they'll look at that bait, and they'll reach up and pull those hooks out. <laughs> and I'll be like, no, 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 keep, keep those in there. Oh, is it supposed to be like that? I said, yeah, I want it like that. Because especially the way yours is, ours is designed, rather, that front hook will grab the leader on every, almost every cast. <laughs> it's sitting right there. If you pull it out of the back. Yeah, the bait, I it- in in that that belly uh, hook that I, I guess I might as well just go and explain all this rather than leaving everyone in the dark. I I, I don't want to turn this into an ad, but um, the the whole reason for that top hook to be buried in like that was I never was a huge fan of the jig hook molded into a bait, just because mm-hmm. yeah, there's if you have to cut it, the hook is gone. Yeah, so there not. there is no fixing that one. Mm-hmm. So I have it split ring there. So, and with having the treble hook there, yes, one point is buried into the top of the bait, but there are two that are sticking out, which is twice as many as a jig hook. Mm-hmm. And so you got two points out the top where the typical jig hook would be, um, and you can replace it really quickly. The belly hook is the way I have it to where the hooks are pointing forward, obviously that was done also for, for a couple reasons. The, when you have that belly hook jingling down low and think of a fish coming up to try to get it in its mouth. If that hook is hanging low, you, you got at least an inch to two inches that that fish needs to have his mouth open more to get that hook inside the mouth cavity. If the hook is up nice and tight underneath the belly, it, it's if it's getting the bait in the mouth, it's getting the hook in the mouth. The other thing is, when it gets that hook in its mouth, it's pointing the way it needs to be pointed when you set the hook. Say, you know, think of think of a bait that has hooks dangling, and let's just say the fish hits it, 
the bait goes in the mouth, but the hook, when it's coming in, hits the bottom jaw and is now keeping the bait from going deeper. When you set that hook, there's a chance you might get it hooked on that lip, but it's it's already outside the mouth, whereas the, the hook points mm-hmm. on the swimmers, if it's got the bait in his mouth and, and you're pulling, there's no turn trying to turn the hook. This Those rubber baits... I've I've had fish. I've lost a lot of fish before I started making the rubber baits, and it was I, I don't know what it was. You set the hook as hard as you can. You get the fish half in, and they're free. And you're like, I really think that they just chomped down. Their teeth were holding the bait. You set the hook, and you didn't move the bait at all. You moved the fish. Like it had so much traction in its mouth. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I who knows? I could have just sucked back then too. <laughs> and uh, so, anyways. You get them hooks in the mouth, even if they loosen their bite, there's still a chance that that's going to find meat somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it, to me, it's it's a game of percentage on that. And uh, the other thing, you have that hook hanging low. I kind of designed the swim baits to be fished near the bottom in cold water, hence my winter fishing. And if you have that bait, that, that hook down there jingling around, it's going to get caught on everything it can. I'm not saying it's snag-free but it's going to snag less mm-hmm. because it's not down there hitting everything that it could. But yeah, that's one thing I see a lot of people do. They want to pop that bottom hook off because every other bait has it yeah. jingling around. But that's, that's some of the reasons why I have it. I mean, I have some more reasons, but there's no point in me driving that hook home. <laughs> and uh, so, but even with the other rubber baits in the industry, I don't think that if, you know, if we went from the three odd round bend on the Raptor and we put a five odd regular shank on it, those hooks are going to mess that bait up. But if you take like a pounder or Medusa or something like that, and you you know they come with you know eight aughts on them, if you find another eight aught in the industry and you go to replace it, I don't think that it's going to mess with a big glob of rubber, you know, that sinks down there as much. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, you got to look at what how the no. bait is going to function as the bait. You know, if you have a bait that's meant for jigging, literally, you probably don't even need hooks on it <laughs> to to make the bait. Yeah, function. I mean, you 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 test. I was just saying about testing bait. You you know, you know, to run a crankbait without the hooks or a jerk bait without the hooks, you know, they, they just don't work properly. But you you test each and every swimmer before we sell them and you, and you don't put hooks on them and they swim yeah the, the action the of the swimming is is not affected by yeah. the hooks themselves whereas it's not like going to on on a lot of that rubber stuff i mean you can do all kinds of stuff with those because it's just lead it's going to sink it's going to go down when you throw it and uh you know there, there's not a lot of fine tuning on those types of baits correct and also with the rubber baits you know, why I don't test them with hooks is because I test them after I demold them. Not right after, mm-hmm. but I do it before painting. Seconds after. Seconds. I can't even wait that long. Sometimes it's one second. Mm-hmm. Me too. That That's an inside joke. Anyways, um, yeah, I don't want to paint a bait that isn't going to run and then put hooks on a bait that isn't going to run. Because I lose, on average, 10% of the baits 
from when I make them to before they're done. So I, I'm sorting through these things. And if I have 100, I don't want to look down and say, why well, I wish I didn't paint these 10 or put these 20 hooks on these things. Mm-hmm. So I test them and, you know, it's not an action that is affected by the, you know, the water current coming over the hooks or counterbalancing or anything like that. Going back to what Todd was saying, if you are making baits and you're just getting started or anything like that, you, you better test them with the hooks on it. Because if you do it without it, and once you put those hooks on it, you might think that your bait's there and ready to roll, but all of a sudden you add new weight and all this other stuff, it's probably going to run different. So There's a lot that goes into the, uh, you know, there's a lot of failures. There's a lot of stuff that goes in into the, uh, you know, getting that final product. I mean, look, look what we went through with our jerk baits. You know, you change your clear, your, your final uh, clear coat, to a different product we had to change the weights on all of that remember when we went from auto clear to the epoxy yeah then all of a sudden boom they're all sinking everything's the same same amount of paint we make them exactly the same every time you change that now the bait doesn't work anymore and it's just simple a few grams or you know a little bit of change in the weight you know the guys that are trolling uh you know making all the trolling baits the same way you know you 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 change that thing it changes the action it changes the weight you know uh the the other thing is like you know we we had we had some people paint before before i tell this part uh, another thing like when we went from the automotive clear to the epoxy clear the other thing that that changes is that epoxy is so thick it doesn't seem like much yeah but it let's just say automotive clear might put down three to five thousandths thick of a coating and now we're jumping up to like a thirty thousand thick coating when it's all said and done. That changes that that shell you put around it is of a different density. Now it's changing the average density through the whole the whole bait. If you're looking at it as as a, as a single object, and it messes with buoyancy, it messes with how it's going to go through the through the water. Um, you know, you're you're losing some some lines that you have. You know, with with anything so yeah. if you have a sharp cut now might be more blended radius because of that coating and you know i've seen people change their coating mid you know mid run on a thing and they're like yeah these don't work and you're like it sucks but yeah yep. you, you gotta check it yeah you take a uh you know you take a one of dale's lures and put one of these new epoxy coatings on that, that a lot of people are working using now you throw that on that bait it goes like wah 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 i mean it deadens deadens a lot of the action those joints can't you know the joints don't work the same you know especially the jointed baits it's just not the same you know there's a reason that's that that most guys are making their their things the way they are and a lot of that came with experiences you know trials and errors and a lot of baits laying around that don't run. <laughs> Simple as a, a coating, you know. Uh, so there's a lot to look at when you start getting some fish and replacing hooks. You know, as I said earlier, that's the big thing. There's a lot of times when guys will say, I can't get this to run anymore. I caught a couple of fish on it. And, you know, like Andy said, pick that thing up, look down the back, make sure everything's straight. A lot of times I can look at it and say, 
I know exactly why this thing isn't running. I'm going to fix it right now. And you go, pop, 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 and it's fixed. <laughs> you know, every time we put them in the net, you know, every time you pull bait out of the net, those, you know, eye screws can turn. And, you know, even on the through-wired things, I have some perch baits, you know. If you take it, you know, uh, you know, it, 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 it's through-wired, but if that wire gets bent in the net out the tail and it's bent off to the side, it's going to change your action going to change that bait real quick you know i'll take and bend that wire back straight and you're good to go again so some of that stuff's just small details that i don't think uh you know everybody's really at the beginning maybe paying that much attention to that stuff but all factors in oh without without a doubt i'm I'm sure there's even some veteran fisher fishermen out there fisherwomen that it's it's just like I don't I don't get why this one doesn't work. You throw it on the dash, and it, it might be a couple of days later you pick it up, and then you realize it's it's very easily overlooked. And mm-hmm. and we do we as Andy said we tune the Raptors the same as a you can tune your jerk bait. They have to be the same way. That eye screw gets bent over to the side a little bit in the net, or you know when you're working on it with pliers or cutting a hook. Uh, it can make a world of difference to where those baits run. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to add on the hook eye screw tuning discussion? Mm-mm. No. Okay. We're good. Todd, anything else? No. I think we drove home a good point right there. Mm-hmm. So that's our question advice show. <laughs> on more information on hooks than most people would really care to know. <laughs> so that's the difference sometimes though. You gotta check you gotta check your lure before you, you think it's not running right. Just make sure everything's in place and Yeah, because you could be giving up a bait that is made of the magic wood because you overlooked a simple eye screw turn. You give it to your buddy and he's out there just banging fish. And uh you gave away a magic wood bait. Yeah. I love that saying. <laughs> so, all right. We're going to uh, we'll wrap this one up here. Please uh, please support Boss Shad, bossshad.net. On Facebook, on Instagram, check him out. Paul Frescario, big supporter of the show. And you can find his baits at Mark's Bait Tackle and Ammo in Ravenna, Ohio. He has all makes and models. That store also has a Facebook page and an website that has a shopping cart feature on it the online store is up and running check them out support boss shad and we're also brought to you by wiley lures muskythrills.com you're not going to talk to dale direct he's a little elusive like that but you can also check out jackson lure they do have a small selection sometimes of wiley lures those are pretty much unless you're watching ebay those are pretty much the only places Besides O'Donnell's in Portersville, did I get that right, Todd? Portersville. And yep. uh, but that's kind of a little local thing, I guess. If you lived around here, you would kind of know it. And if you're thousands of miles away, you would not know it. So, but people have called. They him. will ship them. He will ship them. People yep. have done that already. And uh, Saint Croix Rods, best on earth. Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, MCFishingGuides.com. Uh, on Facebook, you can also friend Todd Young on Facebook. Ask all your questions for fishing trip needs. He's booking up quick. 
probably has very little left in June, a couple days max. And still got some openings July, August, September, October. And uh, Fatty Z Musky Products, fattyzmusky.com, Facebook and Instagram. Check us out there. Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening.